CNN. Radio. This is CNN Radio Profiles, where we get to know people who have the experience or ideas to change the way we see the world. Now, I have never spoken to today's guest, Franz Johansson, but I have read his new book called The Click Moment. And basically, it's about how important serendipity is in creating business success. And Franz, I haven't told you this yet, but you are staying in that radio booth at CNN's Time Warner Center until you and I have a click moment that we can cash in on. Welcome, Franz. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Sounds like a good promise. Well, uh, we're going to try. Now, I, I have to figure if you wrote a book about the importance of serendipity, you had to have stumbled upon this idea. So if you could describe what it is that you call the click moment and how you identified it. The basic notion of the click moment is the traditional way we think about success is that you can plan your way to it, you can analyze your way to it, you can strategize your way to it. What I say in the click moment is that essentially I obliterate that notion. You cannot analyze, strategize, or plan your way to success. Instead, serendipity and randomness has far more to do with success than we commonly think or even want to believe. That's basically the essence of the book. And in in it, I say essentially that careers, entire careers or lives, or even entire sort of uh, life cycles of organizations stand and fall on specific moments in time, what I call these click moments. But these moments are unexpected. They're not planned for. They are serendipitous. They are the client that decided to go in one way instead of another, but because of that choice, opened up a whole new line of business. Or it's the career choice when somebody went into a completely different field that they expected simply because of a meeting at a cafe. That is basically the essence of the book. And, and, and the and, reason... And, I, and, and sorry to interrupt you, but, but right now I, you know, we do have a Starbucks down in our CNN food court here, and I'm drinking Starbucks and thinking about, <laughs> about your, your anecdote about how Starbucks really took off. And if you don't mind sharing that, it's, it's really fascinating. I, I never heard it before. So absolutely. So you, basically you have Howard Schultz, who in 1983 is the director of, I think, retail operations at Starbucks. And at that time, Starbucks did not sell coffee by the cup. They actually sold you know, coffee makers, they sold coffee beans, they sold them coffee by the pound. And so he's in Milan, Italy, uh, to go to a houseware conference to look at coffee makers. And while he's there, he walks by this espresso bar. He doesn't know what he's looking at. He's never been to an espresso bar before. And he walks in and he says, what's going on? And he tastes an espresso and he says, this is an amazing drink. And he then decides to, through this serendipitous encounter, just stroll around the city in Milan and he encounters espresso bar after espresso bar. He looks at cafe and he says, you know what? Starbucks has it all wrong. We shouldn't be selling coffee makers or coffee by the pound. We should be selling it this way. It's about the communal experience you have when you drink a cup of coffee. He comes back uh, to uh, Seattle and ultimately changes the way uh, Starbucks you know, operates. And obviously we know how Starbucks looks today. But here's the thing that's really amazing. When, when people think about what it took to make Starbucks successful, it is hard to imagine that the CEO of Starbucks, Howard Schultz, had never been in an espresso bar before Starbucks got started. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's almost it almost um, uh, boggles the mind. It, it defies any expectation we have of how actually you plan success. But he stumbled into it and he took advantage of it when he fell essentially in love with the idea. So tell me, I, I I still am not sure how you stumbled upon this idea and then how you stumbled upon 
profiting from it because you are uh, you are an investment or a, a business advisor, correct? Well, I have a strategy consulting firm, which is interesting since I'm saying that essentially strategy, uh, the, the, the whole point of strategy is not that you can't find the right answer. I'm changing the way companies think about strategy. That's really what it comes down to. So first of all, how did I stumble upon this idea? I had written a book previous to this one called The Medici Effect, and it's a book on innovation. And traditionally, innovation authors would go and talk to, you know, say, heads of strategy, business development, and innovation officers and companies. But of course, there's lots of innovation authors out there. And so this is sort of a great demand to reach this audience. Okay, well, is there another way around it? And there was. My my wife came home one day from her job at an investment bank, and she'd been sort of gotten a particular challenge, and it was to find the business case for diversity. And she said, I think your book has the solution, because in your book you say that diversity drives innovation. And she was right. Within just a couple of weeks, I was talking to the head of the investment bank, and after that I got introduced to basically almost every single company in the United States and across the world. It was really remarkable. But it was the chief diversity officer in these companies that did that. They made introduction to the CEO, and now I got to do work with them. One day, one evening at a dinner, this strategy officer came up to me and said, I love your whole side door strategy. I asked him, what do you mean? And he said, you contacted... Uh, the chief diversity officer to get to me. You went, you knocked on the one door that other innovation authors did not knock on. And when he said that, I had a realization. I had a click moment. And it was that he thought I had planned that. But in fact, it was a serendipitous conversation with my wife. It was astounding to me. And I realized this is probably the case all over. Every company we look at, Microsoft, Nokia, every creator we look at over and over again, it turns out that it's not planned is these other moments that actually make the difference. You know, it's really interesting Go to ahead. me because just having read just a little bit of your background, that somebody with your background wouldn't immediately recognize the role of diversity. Because tell us a little <laughs> bit about yourself and, and your family. It's a great point. Um, my, um, my mother is African-American and Cherokee, and my dad is Swedish. And so I grew up in Sweden that way and ultimately came over to the States. And, and I've since then... I studied environmental science, I've written fiction books, and I've started a software company and a healthcare company. So I have a mix of cultures in my background, and I've been working in lots of different areas and industries. And every time I've saw that whenever I could combine ideas from these different backgrounds, I had a better chance of breaking new ground. So yes, it should have been obvious to me, but that's the story that somebody says after the fact. That's when people wrote wrote stories about me, that's what they would say. Oh, it's obvious for France because of his background. But actually, it came down to this conversation one evening with my wife. And I believe that uh, you see this over and over again. I had a recent conversation with a professor at Harvard Business School. And I asked her, how do you become a professor at Harvard Business School? And she said, well, what you need to do is, you know, you need to take this step, followed by that step. She outlined it for me as sort of a, a plan. And then I asked her, well, how did you become a professor at Harvard Business School? Oh, well, in my case, she said it was different. You see, I was I studied psychology, and I was teaching there for three days, and then somebody came in accidentally into the class and said, well, why don't you stay for a week, and now I'm a professor. I'm, I'm the exception. And what I realized was everyone is the exception. Everyone has something that happened to them that was not planned, and it took their career off into a different direction. It came from a conversation. It came from a meeting. It came from something I didn't expect. And you, you graduated from Harvard Business School, correct? Yes, that's right, yeah. And just, just out of curiosity, because, you know, there, there are so many 
different ingredients in success. Obviously, you're not saying the click moment is the one ingredient, but it sounds like you're saying it's a very important overlooked ingredient, correct? Yes, because I think that uh, I was actually up at the business school on Thursday and gave a talk there, and it led to an immediate conversation about business school education. The way we think about it, it's not just in business schools, the way we report on success is that we look at how somebody did it and we try to explain it after the fact. But it's almost, it's very difficult to use this model to predict it. So for instance, we can go back to Starbucks. And if you look at the explanations people give for why Starbucks is successful, they all seem to make sense because we, we need things to make sense in our lives. But can we use it to predict success? So for instance, people said the coffee tasted good. Yeah, well, okay. But there's, if you look at various consumer reports, you're going to find that they don't have the best tasting coffee. Why didn't their competitors outdo them in that regard? Uh, they say that they have lots of different options. You go into a Starbucks and ultimately you can order something like 87,000 varieties of coffee and, and cookies and so on. So it's this, it's this plethora of options of choice. Incredibly, I was on the line today at Starbucks, and the person before me ordered 87,000 varieties in her one drink. <laughs> you so ever get that? You you ever know, get that? Exactly. Yes, and uh, sometimes I might be the one doing it. Maybe it was me. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> but here's the thing. Is that, is that a predictor of success? People, everybody says that the fact that Apple made their product line simpler is the reason for their success. So what is which is it? Are you providing more choice or less choice? Which which leads to success? And it's obviously both. And what I'm saying is that this construction after the fact makes sense for us because we want a storyline. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that was the way it happened. It is much more likely that we stumble into these areas. And and the number of examples of this are, are tremendous. There's a um, author uh, named Stephanie Mayer who wrote Twilight, one of the best-selling books of all time. Now, she hadn't written a word for six years before she sat down to write this book. She'd never published anything in her entire life, and she even agrees that her writing isn't particularly good. On top of that, she clearly knows nothing about vampires. I actually read Twilight for science, and, and this is true. Um, her vampires are, are kind, and they, they drink animal blood, and you know they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't try to deceive people, and all this other stuff that is happening. But it's what made her vampire stand apart. No, nothing could have predicted that these books would be successful. And in fact, she almost didn't get in a single agent to sign on for her. But this is how success happens. And, and, and of course, you see it repeated over and over again. You have Fifty Shades of Grey that came out you know, this year. Nobody saw that coming. That was fan fiction that somehow blew up into becoming the book of the year, in terms of sales at least. Over and over again, we see this tendency. And you asked, how do you profit from it? That's because ultimately that's what my firm does. We help companies develop these type of options. We help companies step away from a logical analysis of their of what sort of their future looks like. And we says we need to introduce serendipity and randomness into your strategy and develop a number of different bets to figure out which ones are going to work. You're listening to CNN Profiles, where we get to know people who have the experience or ideas to change the way we see the world. Our guest is Franz Johansson, author of The Click Moment, How to Harness Randomness and Serendipity to Boost Your Business. And I have to figure that one of the biggest enemies of serendipity is the scheduled meeting with the predictable people, because I can't tell you in every business, including mine, you try to get in touch with people to, to brainstorm about something great, and they're in a meeting. 
and another meeting and what, another meeting. Is that, is that, do you find that that is really an enemy of serendipity or maybe not? I think it is a great enemy of serendipity because two questions. Do you want to go to a meeting that doesn't make immediate sense? No. Why would you want to waste your time on that? So once again, you're trying to plan what's going to be successful. And second, who's invited to this meeting? People that don't seem to be able to contribute? No, of course not. In both cases, you want to go to meetings that make sense, and you want to invite people that can contribute. Now, that is useful. I'm, I'm not arguing with that, but it is planned. The unexpected happens differently. So, you know, uh, the uh, <laughs> YouTube is something that everybody has used at this point, more or less. People forget that YouTube started as a, as a dating site. And uh, the founders of YouTube had planned this out. They were, who do you think they were talking to? Those people that know stuff about dating sites. But it wasn't very successful. The whole idea was to upload your video and have people vote on it. Not a great way to sort of get a date. Well, one night, two of the founders went off to have dinner, and they filmed it. And they realized, we have nowhere to upload this movie. And the third founder was trying to find a clip of Janet Jackson's wardrobe malfunction at Super Bowl, and he couldn't find it easily. And so when they met up again, they said, wait a minute, why don't we just combine these two ideas into one? Our software does that. And that became YouTube. There's nothing that sort of sets you up to plan that. And so you, by exposing yourself to people that are, that are slightly outside of what makes immediate sense, you increase the serendipity. And that's what's going to make you stand apart. YouTube sold you know, to Google for about $1.7 billion dollars just 18 months later. So here's a story you may appreciate from my life. Uh, I, uh, I was a writer for Peter Jennings uh, a number of years sure. ago. And when he interviewed me, I was really struck by one of the first questions he asked. He said, what do you do outside of work for fun? And what he was asking me is, what are you bringing into this newsroom? Because I can't tell you how many times there are serendipitous insights based on what you've experienced from outside and related to a story that's that's happening on the screen in front of you. So uh, so he understood the value of that and, and really did have a very active cultural life and wove it into his writing all the time. And I think that is the core of the people that managed to break out. You find a, this great curiosity. And what is curiosity really? Curiosity is something that you decide to do without necessarily being fully aware of if it's going to benefit you. You're doing it because there's some other thing that is that you're pursuing. You're you may be excited about a particular topic, or you or 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 you're there's this itch that you're trying to scratch. There's there's something about it that you're trying to learn more of, and ultimately it can guide you down the path of of serendipity. There's a wonderful story in the book. Uh, uh, in my book, The Click Moment, on uh, on the Rubik's Cube and the founder of it, and how uh, ultimately he had this problem, a puzzle he was trying to solve. He had the cube of different colors, and he'd, he'd mixed them up, and he said he needed to try to solve this mix of colors. It took him six months, six weeks to do so, although it takes the current record holder six seconds, but he couldn't stop. And once he'd done that, he realized that he had a little neat toy on his hands. And he became, I think, the first entrepreneurial millionaire in Hungary, actually, at the time, because it took off in that dramatic fashion. From that section in your book, actually, I actually took a note. It said that you said you wrote, curiosity pursued is one thing that allows serendipity to happen. But then you said something that I couldn't wait to take issue with. You said it becomes harder as we get older. People in their teens and 20s, you say, are more open 
because they are still discovering who they are. Now, thank God, at the age of 52, I still have no idea who I am. So I am <laughs> so curious, I can't even tell you. How old are you? Well, I am about to, uh, I'm 39. I'm, I'm turning 40 later this year. <laughs> so so are you are you as curious or more curious than you've ever been? So I think that um, what I mean by that really is that the older we get, the more active effort we have to take to both stay curious, but to also to pursue that curiosity. It's quite possible that we still are curious, but it's also very, very probable. In fact, I see this all the time that we just don't feel that we have time to pursue the curiosity. We have other obligations in our life. We have a job that requires intense focus usually. We have family life. We have, we have all these other things that mean that this curiosity goes um, sort of unrequited. We, don't, we, we, can't, we can't pursue it. And so we have to find ways, allow ourselves to actually do that as adults. So, so let me ask you, have you ever convinced a business that you can name or perhaps not name to say, okay, you have got to carve out a certain number of hours a week for your employees to get away from being tethered to their desks so that they can experience this and bring it home to the company. Well, yes, but I wouldn't say it that way because if they state it that way, I don't think it works. Uh, instead, what I have and what I do actively with clients all over the world, starting with their CEOs and you know down to wherever it makes sense, is to say, pursue something else. So instead of doing nothing, pursue something else that is not directly related. And when you do, you will encounter ideas that seem strange, but they're also incredibly unexpected. Without giving away confidential information, is there an example you can give me? Of, of, of advice you gave along those lines that paid off? Well, I have, I mean, so I have one, and I mentioned this in the, in the book, actually. This is the uh, executive, the CEO of a large media company, one of the world's largest. And I talked about these concepts uh, to him and essentially said that any time, if you sit down to try to plan out, or strategize, or analyze how media is going to evolve into the future, you're going to get it wrong. Okay, so you're going to have to instead come up with different ideas and pursue them and see which one actually work out. But how are you going to come up with these ideas? You have to do it this way. Uh, you, you find inspiration from other areas. Well, what am I going to do that? He said, I, I want to do it now. I said, well, how now? Well, in the next 45 minutes, I'm leaving for the airport. Okay, I said, go to a newsstand and grab a number of magazines that you would never, ever read. And then use those as a source of inspiration for, say, new business ideas or business models. Okay, use whatever topic it is that in there, and go go through the magazine. Look at look at what another industry or sector that you just haven't spent any time on, how they actually work with marketing or or, or sales or recruiting or whatever it is that you're looking to do. And he said, okay. And two months later, I was back at the company uh, to talk to his direct reports and introduced me, and he said that he was reading more. <laughs> <clears throat> more wedding magazines than uh, ever, <laughs> and it's been incredibly useful. Uh, so this is a way to actually you can apply it almost immediately. Anybody listening to this could do something like that right now. Uh, instead of kind of the way we approach stuff today, which is that we go to websites that we like or that we frequently, we have our favorites. Uh, we we go, we look at magazines or TV shows that we think are immediately relevant to us. 
Uh, those things are useful, but really, the things that will make us stand apart are the unexpected discoveries, the stuff that you hadn't planned. Because everything that you are planning, your competitor is also looking at. Uh, you have to step away from that. And, and you know, uh, as we as we finish up this interview, you know that everybody's also thinking about how your theory applies to relationships. I know, for example, you know, in my case, uh, uh, I've been married about 17 years and uh, met my wife through total serendipity. I was uh, on the west side of Manhattan. She was on the east side. I got a last-minute invitation to a party. She got a last-minute invitation to a party, knew nobody in common there. She was standing near the buffet table. So beautiful, I could hardly keep my eyes on the smoked salmon. And here we are 17 years later with three children. Now you want to talk about randomness. Those three children increase the level of randomness enormously. I don't know. Are you a parent? I am. I have uh, two kids. You have two children. How old are they, may I ask, or roughly speaking? Yeah, uh, about two and a half and three and a half. Okay. And and how, this is interesting, how has that, has that impacted your perspective on this business theory? Well, yes. Um, the, the, entire, the entire relationship notion is huge in this. I don't... I don't talk about it extensively in the book, although I do touch upon it. Here's the thing that I find most amazing about this, okay? And it is, it is this. When it comes to romantic relationships, we look for the unexpected. We look to be surprised. We look for serendipity. And we cherish those stories. Every movie sort of is structured around that whole concept. But in other areas that is less important, we somehow think that we need to analyze and strategize and plan, and somehow we need to get it right. I believe that intuitively we know that true success can't happen that way. It's, it, it, it happens in some other fashion. Because in this most important decision of our lives, we don't, do, we don't go about it that way. We, we walk in and we ignore the salmon. This is how it sort of plays out over and over again. And I guess as we know, you know both in terms of, of taking care of your children and in, in terms of being a good spouse, uh, kids and spouses love surprises as, as I guess as I guess customers do too well let me let me okay so now you're really getting into it because you're right love surprises what is it that would make you fight for something just drive it all the way to success whether it's in your relationship with uh, say so for instance I'm yeah I have two kids I'm married the fact that I am deeply in love helps dramatically to make this into success because if you run into any stumbling blocks, that's what's going to have you keep on going. Otherwise, you just give up and move on. Well, the same is true in corporations. What we ultimately do is we get people that are involved in various projects to fall in love with their idea. It is this irrational sense. It's something that makes you go for it even beyond the rational. So even when somebody says, no, let me show you, let me, let me lay out to you why this is not going to work, you say, I'm still going to do it because the logic of it is what's going to prevent anybody from trying something new ultimately. Logic is always based on what you've seen work in the past. And instead you're pushing it anyway. And you're looking for those surprising surprising moments that will take you in a, in a different direction. On an almost related note to what we're talking about, there is this pharmaceutical company uh, here in the U.S. that in the mid-'80s were sort of a mid-sized company, and they were examining a heart drug, and it turns out that the heart drug wasn't very effective. 
But the test subjects kept on asking for more of it, particularly the male test subjects. And the researchers said, well, this is weird. Why did they do that? And it turns out that it had a side effect. And to put it uh, a bit kindly, it allowed these guys to rise to the occasion. And from that, they created Viagra. Pfizer became the company it is today because of this drug. But it was an unexpected side effect. They could have ignored it and moved on. But ultimately, they literally fell in love with this idea, and they pursued that surprise. We do that in our relationships. We should do it everywhere else. You know, it's funny you mention that because we have done studies, and it turns out that the show CNN Profiles has the same unintended side effect. <laughs> the, 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 listen, the listeners react the same way as they do uh, yes. with Viagra. So, so it's it's just it's a, that's a per. Oh, I'm with you. <laughs> it's a perfect it's a perfect way to end our interview. Listen, I do think I I do um, think. Look, I'm I'm, I'm happy. I, I'm <laughs> to contribute. I am uh, uh, very excited. We had a chance to talk, and and you know what what happens when you read a book like The Click Moment or talk to somebody like you is. Now we all become hyper aware of this concept. So I'm going to be walking out of this studio very hyper aware of the opportunities for serendipity and 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 how to take advantage of them. And hopefully we can uh, uh, hook up in the future and compare notes and, and see where you've headed and I've headed. But uh, uh, I've had a great time talking to you and uh, I really appreciate you spending the time with us on CNN Profiles. Thank you. The same. This is great. By the way, you can find CNN Profiles on our website, cnn.com soundwaves, or download us from iTunes, or go to SoundCloud. And please, if you like what you hear, don't be shy. Share.